What I want to stop is the glorification of failure. Yeah. And I want to debunk this hustle banter. Let's face it, we all know the importance of a good balanced nutrition diet, but the truth is it can get really challenging to get all the nutrients you need every single day when you're running a very busy lifestyle or even running your own business. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't want to resort to a multivitamin pill that is filled with chemicals, binders and artificial ingredients. This is why I'm so glad that I found Viva Life's Thrive. It's a revolutionary health supplement that has all the power of a multivitamin, but that is made with 100% plant-based in natural ingredients that you can actually pronounce and actually recognize. Things like kale, turmeric, baobab, or even spinach. It's been backed by over 50 independent studies and was actually formulated by a nutritionist. That's why each scoop holds the antioxidant equivalent of 10 servings of fruit and vegetables, along with 15 essential minerals and vitamins, including B12, vitamin D, and zinc. The truth is you just never know what your day is gonna be like. That's why I just make it really easy and simple for myself. I add a scoop in either some water, my shakes, or my tea. It's delicious, it's nutritious, and it gets me focused for the rest of the day, and my energy levels have never been better. And here's the best part in it all. Viva Life are so confident in the quality of the product that they've took over five years to design that if you're not satisfied after 30 days, they'll give you a full refund, no questions asked, and you can even keep the product. If you want to try Thrive for yourself, you can go over to www.vivolife.co.uk and use the promo code MARK to get 10% off your first order. Podcasting is one of the most effective ways to grow your business, build an audience, and give your brand a voice. But the idea of launching can frankly feel a little daunting. What kind of gear or software should you use? What if you don't like the sound of your own voice? How to get great guests to come on the show? And how do you get people to actually listen once you've published your podcast? Well, you could go and find out on your own through trial and error, and that might take you forever. Or you could save yourself a ton of time and a ton of money by grabbing a spot on my brand new online video course, how to go from naught to launch that you can take from the comfort of your own home. That's right, I've made the process of launching a successful podcast from scratch super easy. So if you're ready and you wanna stop wasting time, head over to theunconventionalist.com, click on online courses and grab yourself a seat and use the discount code PODCASTTRIBE to get 20% off the entire program. I can't wait to see you in there, but more importantly, I can't wait to listen to your podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roos, and this is the show about what it's really like to turn your message into a movement. I'm really excited about today's guest now. I'm gonna have to make a few apologies at the start of a podcast for my lack of coordination and technical skills to give her the right timing and address. But today's guest is the one only Louise Nicholson, who wrote the brand new book, The Entrepreneurial Myth, A Manifesto for Real Business. Really, it's, it's a love letter for entrepreneurs, despite what you might be thinking about the, the, the title. We'll get more into that in a second. 
But what's been amazing is that I got to meet Louise during a workshop, uh, I believe a year ago. I could be wrong. We'll, we'll double check with that. But it's been incredible to see her journey of getting this book out and published. And I think it's going to make some really necessary waves in the world. So we'll get into this episode right now. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, hi. Hello. Welcome. Thank How you, you doing? for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Yeah. Feeling nervous? I am feeling nervous mm. because I'm a PR. So usually yeah. I'm behind the camera or I'm on yeah. your side of the table. I get that. I get that. You, you, you shine the light on others. Yeah. It's been kind of your career yeah. in words. And now suddenly there's a spotlight on you. Yeah. I get that. But a lot of people say that. And, and what I hope will happen is that within the next few minutes, you'll kind of relax into it and realize that this is just like another conversation. Yeah. With just a few cameras and microphones, all this yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah. Ignore the tech. That. Yeah. <laughs> so apologies for not sending it's you. okay. <laughs> we had a very hectic start, didn't we? Address. You, just, uh, you, you said you had to message Riley, King of the Ops, who's based in New York. Uh, Yeah, I know. <laughs> who's based in the East Coast and who managed to get you here. So grateful for having you here. Of course. And, and thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come out. So it was interesting. I was looking at your background. Um, first of all, one question is, you don't do that many interviews. No. No. I'm very excited. Is this one of your first podcast interviews? or it's, Well, it's my second. But the okay. first was rather, rather sort of uh, um, soft okay. in that it was with my publishers. Who okay. were obviously... Okay. You know, so I'm expect this. I'm working up. I'm okay. working up to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when did we meet? We met when I ran the podcast boot camp uh, for Den. Was that a year ago? It could, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, it could be because I had this idea of getting the guests that I'd um, interviewed for the that book around us. You know, for a dinner party, yes. and I wanted to record it. That was it. Which I've done. It's on my website because Brilliant. I always had that sense. I wanted to bring the reader into the room and in, okay. and that it was yeah. like an informed discussion around the dinner table got it you know you love data love data. <laughs> but i love data you can use okay helpful you know? data yeah so yeah. this is um it's it's data with the story okay and actually one of my key themes is around uh we have lots of stories yeah but we need to couple that with data okay. um that we, that doesn't actually exist at the moment and i'm looking for a community to help me mm populate Drive that the data. yeah because it's really really important yeah th there's a quote uh from bernie Brown I love which i think she said something like storytelling is data with soul you know nice yeah so so it sounds like it's something they but so this is so you basically went over 30 years yeah of research across data in the us uk india and china yeah to try and understand something that you had wrote written about in 2001 yeah. At university. Yeah. Um, are you Scottish, by the way? No, I'm not. No, so, I'm not. All your... But I fell in love with a Scotsman and ah, Scotland. I produced okay. two Scotsmen. <laughs> I think that kind of, you know, I, I should be Scottish. Yeah. But no, I'm actually from Because what I was looking at, yeah. if you go on your LinkedIn profile, if you look at your, your background, it's very Scottish heavy. In yeah. that sense that you went to University of Aberdeen. Um, and yeah, and, and, and you started a business yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. I thought I just fell in love with the place. Okay. What did you fall in love about? What was it about it? Um, I, well, I love the Scottish people mm -hmm. and I love the, the grit and the honesty and yeah. the opportunity you can get in Scotland. Okay. Um, but I'm a London girl at heart and yeah. it's, uh, we, we originally went up to Aberdeen for 18 months, okay. stayed 17 years <laughs> <laughs> and then we came back to London three years ago Yeah. and we're glad to be back. Aber you know. Aberdeen. Aye. 
<laughs> no, let's not do this. Let's not, let's not do this. Just, if let's... one thing I've learned is not to do that, they do it. I was, gonna, I was gonna like so how's your scottish accent now? no it's terrible it's terrible <laughs> so my ex was uh, is from aberdeen so ah. i spent quite a bit of time there yeah yeah do we want to talk about that yeah it's fine i'm i'm, I'm good yeah yeah no i loved it it was it was really it was i mean she was slightly outside of aberdeen about half an hour away like in the countryside yeah and it was just beautiful kind of landscape yeah no, i've got two boys yeah. and you know it's an outdoorsy yeah. life you know uh -huh. you've got the beach the mountains the forest yeah. it's amazing no no definitely definitely is and then one thing that was really cool when i was coming across your profile is that i think there's a lot of people talk about business and talk about entrepreneurship and sometimes i found is that it, it one thing about being theoretical about it it's another about having lived it and you actually started a company bread yes yeah bread which, and because your, your background predominantly is in communications pr yes comms Kind of. I've had a yeah. weird. I've had a weird yeah. career. I actually started started off as a social. If you worker. haven't had a weird career, you're not on the show. <laughs> yeah, <I don't, laughs> the no. It's not called like yeah. the nine to five. Yeah. No, afraid not. <laughs> but um, no. So I, I started off as a social worker in London okay. in A and E departments. Yeah. Um, and other places. Yeah. Um, and I. For people, so for people who don't know what social workers actually do, like, how would you summarize? what a social worker is oh um that's actually a really difficult question <laughs> well you're meeting people with a variety of needs okay and you're plugging them into the um public services okay. that are available okay so, no, so, so is, it, is it usually people have a problem of some sort or yes. could it, would, i'm looking for some information okay cool yeah so problem okay, so um I, I worked in a and &E department yeah. and we'd have a range of people coming in with them might have mental health problems okay. they might have um abuse yeah exactly yeah. that okay. and it was my my job to plug them into the right services okay. that must have been tough yeah yeah you know I, I don't think i was ideally suited to okay. it so i mean i went um because you're I, very colorful well a lot of social workers are very colorful okay right you've yeah. got to you've got to know who you are to yeah. be a good social worker okay a lot of friends who still you know hats off to them yeah. they're still in that front line what got you into that in the first place wanting to change the world yeah <laughs> but you know what frustrated me was seeing the same problems over and over and over again okay. and then I got interested in policy okay so I moved up I naturally moved up into a sort of more managerial role um okay. where I got to help um hundreds of social workers implement the policy that mm -hmm. was coming out of the government at the, that time and um that uh, well, Policy is only useful if people understand it okay. and you therefore have to be quite good at communications. Right. And I Translating found, it. Yeah, yeah. And I found I was better at the communications piece um, than the frontline social work piece. Okay. So um, I decided I, I did a wee bit of training, but not much. And I um, launched myself as a freelance uh, journalist. Okay. And um, that... Uh, coincided with my move up to scotland yep. for love as we've already discussed yeah, yeah. and so you guys met in london we met okay. well we met well we met on holiday in Mallorca, oh. but we don't want to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> and um but yeah we were living in london yeah. and um so we went up uh, uh north um worked as a journalist mm -hmm. a freelance journalist for uh, business am which is an old business paper mm -hmm. that that uh used to exist okay. unfortunately isn't around anymore mm. Um, I was a food critic for them. Okay. 
So what does that mean? Did you go around restaurants? Yeah, and so there is. Really? There is. Would you, say, a would, you say, would you say to a restaurant before you went there? No, you, no. Just, you wouldn't say anything? No. You just show up? Yeah. Would they recognize you? Would they know? No, no, no. They wouldn't. I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I, I was just starting out. Okay. So I would write about anything, to be fair. Okay. But food was pretty ideal. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Do you remember your first review that you made? Um, yes. I got a lovely note from the editor who said she'd never heard a risotto called Clarty before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> it's it, well, it means sticky, anxious. Okay. okay. Um. It. So, uh, I was just finding my feet really, yep. and um, in fact, the editor at that paper really helped me. Yeah. I almost learned on the job how to write, and she she uh, did a great job for me there. Wow. Yeah. Because because yeah. I mean, you're coming like if you're a social worker to becoming a journalist, is that like a natural trans? Kind of only via the policy route you've got to communicate yeah. the policy you know okay. what i mean so i think okay. that i mean nothing makes sense really sure. if you look at it properly Link, yeah. linkedin life is it's a real problem bizarre. isn't it when it doesn't you well, know it doesn't link up like that yeah but so so there i was um and i sort of started to advise people how to communicate with journalists and okay. therefore moved into pr okay i worked at an oil company yeah um as their pr yeah. um after the, when they were going through a big transaction okay um it was the transaction piece that really fascinated me and what fascinated about it um the the, the opportunity to start fresh okay. so this was a company that had completed an mbo okay from a major oil what's an mbo company a management buyout okay so a group of nine brilliant directors have decided to put the money forward to okay. um, purchase uh, a subsidiary of the company. Okay. They had a blank piece of paper. Okay. And that's really exciting from a comms perspective. So you can create the whole kind of strategy around how we want to communicate about who we are. I was one of do. a team who okay, did yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So I was their, their global PR manager. Okay. Um, but there are others in the team, of course. Got and, it. So um, you started in-house? Yeah, I started yeah. in-house from a PR perspective. Okay. And from there, I, I went there for a a number of years and then i moved in um into agency land okay Ooh. yeah i remember saying um i used to work a lot with pr agencies when i used to country manager at the Malone foundation and they used to juggle like six to eight clients you know, at the same six time to eight. i mean I, I don't know I mean, i'm making just six to yeah, eight whatever the number was <laughs> and um and it was highly stressful because i'd be there they get phone calls from people screaming like you know that they didn't put the right email address in the description of the article or that's not the photo I said to use or why are we not in the front? I mean, just getting bombarded all the time. And I remember when someone telling me that they compared in a study or something about PR and, and the military, <laughs> the levels of stress. That oh, really? Were, yeah, <laughs> the levels of stress that they were uh, living. So was that, was, that, was that like a big change then from in-house well, no, to agency? I mean, well, to be fair, I set up the agency. So, oh, this was, this was, so this I was still, okay. Yeah, so I still had control over okay, it. Okay structure you know as the md yeah and um so why, why, why just just pause for a second do you in-house you're doing this job in a, in a you know pr what made you want to start your own agency i was i think frustrated with some okay. of the provision yeah and um i thought i could do a really good job okay yeah and in many ways i mean we could eat, we could get onto this but I, I chose entrepreneurship. Mm. I thought uh, there's this, there's this um, great theorist called Gartner and he, he said uh, entrepreneurship is a bit like basketball. You know, you can be an entrepreneur when you're on the court, you pick up the ball, you play the game, okay. but you're not always an entrepreneur. You can step off. 
and go do something else. Okay. And I, it's a, it's uh, no, and this is a huge debate. Yeah. We've actually spent several hours yeah. talking about it, whether you're born or made. But yeah. I found it quite compelling that you could, you could have a go, and mm. and that's the, the Scottish culture is very much give it know, a go, give it a go. Okay. Yeah, it's very sort of naturally entrepreneurial yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd obviously been working with, uh, with a bunch of entrepreneurs who'd bought this company and built it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I'd have my, I'd have a shot. Yeah. yeah. And you go off and you set off to bread. Why, yeah. why, why bread? Because PLs are business basic. That was the short uh. line. So it was like, uh, <laughs> and then it just stuck and then it became normal. <laughs> um, you know, you get all the jokes. Yeah. But, uh, I liked it. And we were um, affiliated with Helen Knowlton yeah. and we did some yeah. really great work. Yeah. Um, and you won a bunch of awards. I mean, at least you, you were a runner up in an award in 2015. You won Best Awards for Employer. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and, and you also started, was it a summer camp? Did I make that up? Yeah, no, it's yeah. a way of, of sort of um, bringing together companies you could do with pro bono support mm-hmm. um, and then developing Talent. students yeah. and also developing members of my team who were ready for managerial okay. roles yeah. so they would flex their muscles okay. and teach on the, in, in the camps. So this is something that I often find not to be spoken about as much, I guess. It's like I think there's one thing from being a one-woman band or a one-man band to then suddenly bringing on team members. You know, whether that's through freelancers, contractors, or, or permanent staff. What, how did you find that process? Like, I didn't really th- think about it okay. an awful lot. I always you know, say that the work drove the recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you've got a certain number of people, you have to go for, you know, drive to, to you know, um, secure more work. Yeah. So it was quite an organic process. Okay. Um, How many were you at the, at the highest level before? At the you... highest level, we were 17. Okay. Um, uh, but we were, you know, a variety of shapes okay. from beginning to end. Yeah. And uh, in the end, we sold to a competitor. Why did you sell? That's the question I was asking myself. That is a million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was t- it was time. Yeah. We'd, we'd gone to um, Aberdeen for 18 months. Yeah. Have I said that already? Uh, no. no. Or we stayed 17 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was time. We always planned to return to London. Okay. Um, it was just time. Yeah. Okay, good. So how long, did, how long did you run bread for? Seven years. Oh, seven years. Okay, cool. I think it was seven years. Yeah, what would, what would you say if you had to distill, and this is going to be like the billion dollar question, if you had to distill the three things you learned the most about yourself in those seven years running bread, what would those three things be? What three things did I learn about yeah, myself? Yeah. Or about um, the process, if it's easier. If you want, like, about the process. Yeah. Uh, that's much tougher mm. than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm much tougher mm. than, I thought, than I thought I was yeah. going to be. Yeah. Um, and probably that um, there's a different way of doing it like that so that's two and a half because that last one wasn't a well, no. learning well no it was the spark I, I'll, I'll though take the, I'll take it was those three. yeah it i'll take those three because i like it it's kind of like it was harder than i thought it was but i was tougher than i thought i'd be and there's always a different way of doing something yeah, yeah. so if i was to do it again yeah i would do it differently okay um but i'm i appreciate the journey that yeah. i went on with with that team mm-hmm. incredible team mm-hmm. um yeah but you would you would always do it differently and I think that, you know, there's something in that 
um, when I was running the business, I, I had previously done a master's in entrepreneurship. That's the one you did at Aberdeen, right? Yeah. 2001. Yeah. yeah. So when I moved up to, to, to work as a freelance journalist, okay. I, I did a master's on the side okay. um, at Aberdeen. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. And, um, and you wrote a paper. Yes. Yeah. And that was called The Entrepreneurial Myth. That so was, was my thesis. So it, was, so it was called The Entrepreneurial yeah, Myth? Yeah. 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 Ah, okay. Or it's called The Evolution of Entrepreneurial Mythology Between okay. Blah and Blah. You know what I mean? Mm. It's academia. <laughs> it's like it's, yeah. So proud of that Got moment. It. Of course. Because yeah. if it's just the entrepreneurial myth, it's like it's not long enough. No. No. There needs to be at least 16 yeah. syllables. So I created a model about how entrepreneurship might evolve okay. over the decades to come. Okay. And that was by looking at how entrepreneurs are pitched, how yeah. they're um, presented yeah. in politics, in media, policy, in policy yeah. um, versus the reality and okay. the gap and yeah. what that might do okay. to the individuals involved. And you got a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. You got pretty, like one of the first times they gave high marks. What, yeah, why full you, marks. Full marks. Why do you think it landed the way it did? I think, well, I think it was a solid piece of research. And for that, thanks to Professor Anderson, okay. who I interviewed for the book. Really? It was such a brilliant Love union. Oh. My word. Yeah. That man, best teacher I've ever had. Professor Anderson. Yeah. Is he still teaching? Yeah, he's still teaching. Aberdeen? Lancaster. Lancaster. And right. actually numerous other okay. universities yeah. throughout China. And entrepreneurship, and is that what he... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. he's brilliant. Okay. What's brilliant about him? Um, the capacity to think afresh. Mm. In, in uh, an area where there's an awful lot of loud voices. Mm. Mm. And it lands somehow. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Okay. So, but I mean, the research was the research, you know, it was research. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been an entrepreneur at that point. I just knew I wanted Got to it. get into business. I wanted to distance myself from social work because yeah. my first degree was in psychology, politics and mm -hmm. economics. Mm -hmm. I wanted to enter the business world. I thought I'll do a master's. I'll yeah. start writing about business for Business okay. AM. It'll all make sense in the yeah. end. And, um, uh, and so that was the... The whole writing, yeah. like the reason why you wanted to get into a yeah. master's, I get that. So at what point does this book become an idea? Like at one point in, in the last 20 years, you go, I need to write about this. It was at these moments in bread. Yeah. You know, so uh, when, I, when I said it was tougher than I thought it was, I mean, mm. probably every entrepreneur listening to this will understand mm. those sort of brutal moments. I know you've spoken about mm. the shadow yeah. of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so for me, those brutal moments were, you're up against a deadline. I've got two beautiful sons. Mm. You know, um, my, my husband was away working mm -hmm. or, you know, we had, it was these pressure points where the business um, uh, demands so much yeah. of you. Um, and I think it was at those moments, my thesis started to make more and more and more sense. I actually got it out and read it. So it wasn't just this study hmm. i kept thinking god i'm really onto something yeah. here yeah. and throughout the whole process i kept thinking about it and then after the sale of the business and yeah. moved down to was london that a, was that an emotional process yeah terribly yeah yeah um louise feels like what you should have had is like a joker thank card. you yes <laughs> yes it was <laughs> terribly emotional <laughs> I get that. Pause. Uh, yeah. No, because I mean, obviously it's a, it's a form of baby, isn't it? Seven years of building something and a team and 
people often kind of read in the news, sold for or bored or whatever, but I think a lot yeah. of people forget about the story behind. And so your these moments, this is something I'm, I'm, I'm interested about, and I'm living through this. So I don't know what the question is, but the question is something along the lines of, do you think you can, and obviously the definition of success is very objective, but can you achieve a level of quote-unquote success in a business while also having everything else in check? Your family, your health, your relationship to self and to others, and grow a business. Yes. Yeah. But you have to be very careful about what your success is. Mm -hmm. And you need to define that at the beginning. Okay. So I know you've spoken with Paul Jarvis around growth for growth's sake. And that this that hugely plays into this point Mm. that um you have to define success before you start. That's very helpful. It's hard. Yeah. But it's hard though. I I think it's hard and I think one of the things that you I mean, especially before we got on camera, you were, you were talking about how you got passionate about um, the 90% and how people glorify failure and how it's like, it's great to fail. And you're like, it's a terrible statistic. 90, 90%. And, and failure really hurts. Yeah. I think there's, there's several things here. Success is, is pitched as easy to yeah. achieve, right? So we've got these superstar entrepreneurs at the top and yeah. their bravado and the yeah. whole hustle culture and you've got that mm-hmm. then uh but failure is pitched as personal mm. so if you fail it's not it's not the economy it's not it was you your relationship with the founder it's not your customer's procurement strategy mm. you know what i mean we personalize failure so what do you mean by that i just wanted to because I've, I've, I've heard you talk about this what do you mean like if i, if I scratch a little bit the surface do you mean that we basically attribute that failure to that one individual and therefore it doesn't apply to the rest of the people who could try and attempt to climb that mountain? I think, I think what we do is um, we locate entrepreneurial success and failure mm. in the entrepreneur's guts, right? So we okay. say, um, you know, it's your instinct, you've got to take risk. You know, yeah. we, we locate all these characteristics yeah. in the entrepreneur rather than seeing it something that he or she does you know, rather than seeing that there's, there are multiple factors that mm. contribute to the success or failure of that business. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think when you're in a, in a business um, and it's, uh, you know, when it's going well, you'll buy into the myth, right? I did this. There's a huge bit of ego in that. I, I'm the one that won this award. Yeah. Not, you know, I, I'm riding the waves, yeah. you know? Yeah. But when it, you fail, you're pretty much alone. Okay. So those are the moments where um, people disappear. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that philosophically, if you like, we approach entrepreneurship the wrong way. So we locate um, this magic ability in someone's guts rather than seeing it as a system that could be improved. Got it. So, you, so, you, so, you, so is, that, is that, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is there something about what you're saying is that entrepreneurship can be systemized or can you can you actually look at what makes a successful business from a an action step perspective rather than an individual fluke of luck of chance of personality mix it i mean there there are undeniable talents okay. at play right so not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur not everybody's mm. good at it mm. um but what i'm saying is that the myth that the, the things we promote in media politics yes. policy yes. is solely about the individual okay 
So I'm saying it's a balance. Got it. You've got to have people who have an aptitude for business, yeah. who have an aptitude for the insecurity of business, because we know that entrepreneurship is, you know, less certain, yeah. less lucrative yeah. than corporate work, um, riskier. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's exactly what, you know, we talked about it before offline, but it's what I was talking about in my TEDx talk. And I think it's one of these things that a lot of people, as you said, these rock and roll, rock star kind of bravado entrepreneurs online you kind of think okay if i make a few youtube videos <laughs> i'll make a few millions you know yeah. in 60. and then you've got the whole my pay i know your pay we'll get into in a second but one mine is all these quick fix schemes that people sell you like six figures in six months and and i see all these people spending all this money and time and then they think it's them you know they think yeah. it's, there's, there's something wrong with me and and i think you know something that i know i've gone through this and a lot of people go through this it's this idea that you put yourself into question when the business doesn't go well. As you said, if it goes well, it's easy to buy into the hype and get into the ego. But when it doesn't go well, it's um, I'm insignificant, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough. Who am I to do this? Like this whole wave of saboteurs kind of come and kick in. Is that something that you found? Yeah, and there's a growing debate about that, isn't okay. there? And, you know, I think there's some, some great stats actually from We Are 360 this okay. year around 77% of um, uh, entrepreneurs feel their business uh, impacts their mental health oh, yeah, in a negative way. You know, yeah. so, well, we have, to, we have to take this seriously, you know, mm. and there are, there are other studies. And there are anecdotal conversations about it. Yeah. I think my point is... Um, we don't have we also need mm. a um, look at the system. Okay. Right. So these conversations are really, really important. So these, you know, the coaches, the safe places to talk mm -hmm. and discuss your business, mm -hmm. the peer support, all of these things are essential. But my point is we also need to look at the system. Okay. Because policy is skewed towards this mythical entrepreneur that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> so policy is skewed to in it's really short term. Yeah. You know, weirdly it fits a, a politician's four year tenure. Yeah. What's going on yeah, there? Yeah. So um, what do you mean by that? Again, I'm I'm really sorry, I'm gonna distill it for people listening, yeah. right? So when you talk about policy, you basically mean let's say a government comes into power or into office, a power office, and then they go, um, hey, we're going to reduce taxes for starting businesses or we're going to increase yeah. corporate tax or whatever. And this is often laid out over a four-year strategy. Is that what you mean? Yes, yeah, so so there's, like there's a huge number of initiatives. They okay. change quite a lot. They're okay. relabeled, they're okay. repackaged. Okay. And my point, I, I looked at 50 years worth of mm -hmm. policy in four countries and I found patterns, mm -hmm. which makes me sound a complete geek. But Love it. Um, what did you find? What, what I found was short-term short-termism okay so um that's because you know you've got an economy you've got to turn around people are like screaming at your door saying you know you got to reduce in, in, in unemployment you got to reduce inflation all this kind of stuff and so they're going okay we're going to do all these quick fixes is that yeah. is that kind of instead of going hey over the next 20 years yeah totally okay got evan it. davis the brilliant evan, evan davis put this back okay you know when he was saying if the only election that matters is the next election Oh no, I'm going to misquote them terribly Doesn't now. Matter. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Anyway, yeah. W w can we put that in the notes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pass it on. Yeah, pass yeah. it on. But he he wrote about this short termism, okay. and uh, you you recognise the the pattern there. Yeah, but this is not. I mean, I just want because I, I do a lot of work in companies, right? And I think this is also applies. One of the biggest things I found in companies when it comes down to employee engagement strategies, it's very short term. 
it's very kind of like we need to fix this now what's a quick fix what's a pill we can give them what's a retreat we can run what's a talk we can yeah. bring in what's a but not like hey over the next five to ten years here's how we want to you know kind of grow our people into their different roles so policy is the same thing that's going yeah. to say okay got it and i don't you know sometimes you have to go slower to go faster yeah. mm-hmm. and i think that whole thing around you know if we slow things down we're actually going to make better decisions mm-hmm. so um some some of the people i spoke to around you know cr- who who created or, or, or endorsed the policy were talking about um four or five startups before somebody hits on an idea yeah. that's worth it well, for me, I just see that waste, you know, in the four that went before. Got it. So you, you don't see it as it's a necessary, like there's a French expression that says in order to make an omelette, you need to break eggs. So like it's- a I col- just don't think you need to break five eggs. Okay. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, so- Because what breaks in the process? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Like a part of you. Like parts. A part, yeah. Yeah, parts. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And so, so you think- that we don't need to have a 90% failing I, rate? I think it's avoidable. Okay. Right, so you look at that figure. Yeah. That figure comes up time and time again. Yeah. You know, in UK, yeah. US, it's, it's a reputable figure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why aren't we a- outraged about that? Why aren't we angry about that? Because that makes me angry. What, what, what makes you angry about because it? Because of the waste. Because of the waste. Because you think about... It's the only sector where we expect to lose 90% of investment. I mean, that's, that's any way you look at it, that's a really bad deal. But wait a minute. Like VCs have a very similar approach to it. So then their portfolio, they expect about 90% of their portfolio to go down. And if the 10% makes, then that makes their entire portfolio. Sick. Yeah, but imagine if we yeah. could increase the success rate by 10%. So if we yeah. if we increase the success rate just by ten percent, it mm-hmm. would be worth twenty billion pounds mm. to the UK economy yeah. a year. Okay. What? Yeah. Hang on a minute. This yeah, is yeah. huge. So if we could, and even then, I'm like eighty percent. We can do better better than that. Okay. And that, it's not asking for the impossible because other industries do this really really well. So why so, do you think we fail then? Why do you think the ninety percent fails? Because, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I, I hear you hear the stat all the time. I mean, it's a stat that I've used. It's a stat that I've seen all the time. Yeah. Especially in the first 18 months. Like, uh, yeah, 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 companies fail, you know, in the first 18 months. So, why? first of all, the question is, in your opinion, like, why do you think they fail? What do you think some of the reasons that this 90%? And then I'll ask you the second yeah, part yeah, of the question. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very good with multiple sets of questions <laughs> question just 15 just 15 <laughs> what was the question again so the question is why do you think entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs fail i think the problem is we don't know okay right so the problem i'm afraid is data okay right so there are again there are pockets of you know anecdotal stories. anecdotal stories why it might you know you can come up with when you review the literature you can come up with a sensible list mm. of right factors that mm. might cause failure mm-hmm. some are irrefutable you know uh, economic reasons mm-hmm. others are much softer leadership reasons team mm. orientated reasons yeah. customer you know the relationships mm. Competition. Um, involved yeah. um so the but the big problem is we don't know and um okay. i don't think that is good enough okay right so that's my love letter to entrepreneurship mm. it's to say we can do this differently Mm -hmm. by slowing down and analyzing why businesses fail Mm. um and other other industries do it and i'd really like to you know tell you a bit more about that so the aviation industry 
healthcare industry, um, uh, so just like, energy just, industry. Just like in the healthcare. So when you look at healthcare, so I, I did a bit of work in, in, in men's, men's health and especially in prostate cancer, testicular cancer, men's mental health, physical inactivity. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of things which is interesting in, in, the, in the medical sector, in the pharmaceutical sector, there's, there's, I think, what do they call it? Not the value of death, but there's a thing between the product that they came up with and then getting it commercialized for, for mass production, right? But they have a budget that they have a grant or a fund or a certain amount of money that they've got to find the solution. It's not only accepted, but it's almost encouraged that you need to fail a certain amount of like vaccines or, you know, products in order to get to the final remedy. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like, it's almost institutionalized that it's, because I remember asking someone, Tim Ferriss, I asked him, what's your relationship to failure? And he said to me, oh, I, I see failure like a scientist, that failure is feedback. And that it's just a question of me getting to the right amount of times I fail in order to get to the right amount of success. So is that, is that, is in, in, is in that case, you kind of go, we could still reduce those kind of, you know, failing, or, or can you see that actually in certain in industries like pharmaceuticals, failing a certain amount of time is necessary in order to get to the success? Because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the surgeons, right? Okay. So failure for a surgeon is completely different than a pharmaceutical. Than a, than a pharmaceutical than Got it. You know, so my, my point is like, Got it. So like where it okay, impacts okay. on a person. Got it. Right? So my, yeah. my heart is with entrepreneurs Got and it. Um, having been one, yeah. uh, still one. Yeah. Um, that's my concern okay. so it's not right we're never going to eradicate failure because we're human and that's yeah. part of the human condition mm -hmm. and in fact um you know failure is to be expected and it's you know that, that you is can't what avoid. it is yeah you can't what avoid, i yeah. want to stop is the glorification of failure yeah and i want to debunk this hustle banter yes and think it's starting to <laughs> hustle happen banter. i've yeah. never heard it Call but that, you know though. it's starting hustle to happen banter. But my point is, yeah. other industries, right? So you take aviation industry. Yeah. They collaborate across intensely competitive, yeah. um, you know, relationships. Companies yeah. that, are, that, that really fight for the, their yeah. customers will collaborate on safety because... Because the stakes are high. Because the stakes are so high. Okay. So their um, approaches when they're analyzing sort of human factors data and they pool and collaborate across all these different mm -hmm. boundaries, mm -hmm. they reduce um, the number of incidents yeah, in that makes sense. flight. Okay. Right, so, uh, uh, but a flight is a really complex um, system. Or system, yeah. yeah. A really yeah. complex system, like a business. Yeah. Right, so a flight is not just the pilot and the aircraft. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the weather. Yes, yeah. yeah, like, there's so many other yeah. elements to that. Yeah that system working mm -hmm. well and safely got it in the same way a business has all these other elements that we disregard because we're so busily on the entrepreneur it. it's yeah, like, it's like if you were just focused, focused on, on the pilot them. but actually the pilot is the entrepreneur that metaphor yeah and there's all this other stuff that's happening but because all our attention is look how look how amazing this pilot you know look how she managed to fly this plane in a superb way yeah. or landed it you know whatever as opposed to going the entrepreneur but then there's all the system around it yeah okay got it so you think that if we improve the system we can reduce the amount of failure that happens and yeah got it and that will have a huge economic benefit yeah to our economies mm -hmm. um it will also uh have a real impact on personal lives yeah and i get that 
I get that. So it's a, you know, we've nothing so where'd to you start? lose. Um, by, by pooling more than stories about struggles okay. and failure. Okay. By, as entrepreneurs ourselves, by taking off the entrepreneurial mask and, mm-hmm. and um, connecting with each other in a real way. Yeah. From understanding there's more than one entrepreneurial role we can play. Mm-hmm. Um, from wor- uh, working out, if we're not the entrepreneur of the myth, if we're not this superhero, who, who are we? Yeah. You know, so there's that personal piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also then that systematic analysis. Mm-hmm. And I suppose my mission is to generate outrage around this 90%. Mm. Yeah, it's true, because I think it's a really interesting way of seeing it. I've never been shocked by it because it's, it, it's so institutionalized and it's so common practice yeah. you know like i mean i've had people on the show like my best friend who's come on the show who went through a really dark time following his startup you know he raised a quarter million euros in, in, in business angel investment and he went through a really tough time and you know his whole thing was don't start a business i mean he was so burned that he was kind of like 99.999 percent fail don't do it i mean that was kind of his yeah of his message and it, you know it put a strain on his relationship on his marriage you know he had a kid and you see this over and over and over again. And, and, and I wonder if, you know, if, if people listening to this, it, it's, it's it, you know, and I guess this might be a selfish message I also want to share. It's this idea that what do you hope to get at the end of this rainbow that you're chasing? You know, at the end of this mythical race that you've set up by starting this business, what are you hoping you're going to get or feel? You know, and, and most of that says proud, you know, successful, whatever those terminologies are get clear on those you know and danielle laporte came on the show as well she talks about your core desired feelings about actually everything you want in life is about how you want to feel and and i feel that we could have people who less burn themselves out along the way you know i mean again you know talked about it in in the tedx talk but it's all this whole thing about on the outside and i think this is what you related to what you were saying before i think there's a certain perception and then on the inside there's how we feel and, and most of the time, there's a bridge and they don't match. Is that something that you've yeah. kind of felt? But yeah. it's also, it's, it's, it's reasonable to chase a myth, right? We've been yeah. doing this since the beginning of time, <laughs> right? So there's stuff in, in the book where you can see that there's been versions of the entrepreneurial myth, yeah. you know, for decades, yeah. centuries, yeah. right? And so we, we, there are psychological reasons we need to mm. believe the rags to riches story yes the psychological reasons yeah, we love why we, we love want it. to to have that sense of quest and voyage yes. and adventure Purpose and, yeah um so these things are uh, understandable psychological Got it. processes Got it. so i suppose my point is right entrepreneurship's amazing right there's nothing like it you know i am doing all, it all <laughs> over again right i'm i'll be launching a business in january okay but um it's so satisfying yeah you know intoxicating <laughs> but we have to be careful you have to be careful mm. and sort of i suppose it's around that self-awareness yeah. um but also as a um as a group of people we have to be aware of what is real and what's not mm. you know yeah so we have to keep the bits that um feed us yeah 
and um, serve economies yeah. and generate jobs. Yeah. Uh, but we have to tease it apart from the mythological dross, yeah. which has us chasing our tails by ourselves. It has us our kitchen tables at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. It stops us reaching out until it's too late. Yeah. There's that whole piece. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Um, mm. And uh, I, I, I suppose I'm calling for a band of people to share data. So here's, here's the question I have, the multi-million billion dollar question, because we're coming towards the end of the interview. How can people contribute to building this pool of data that, that you're craving for? How can people share that? And what would that look like? I would love them to get in touch. Mm-hmm. If this is a, a message that resonates, mm-hmm. I think that it's, a, it's multiple stages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel outraged, or if this isn't something you've thought about before, mm. or if you think we can do this differently, yeah. um, then get in touch at louisenicholson.com. Mm-hmm. And I want to start that discussion there. I have some pretty concrete ideas about mm-hmm. how we could start collating that data. Okay. But I need, I need my tribe with me, yeah. right? Yeah. And at the moment, it's quite a, it remains a controversial idea. Okay. So I want to start that yeah. howl. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but what, what's controversial about it? Um, because people don't think about the 90%. And so people yes. okay, will, that. you know what I mean? So they'll, they'll go, okay, you know, or they glamorize failure or they believe success yeah. is easier than it yeah. is or they think churn is inevitable or mm. they think that, it's not the policy that's not hitting the mark. It. It's their performance. Um, and I want to bring Got the it. whole system together Got it. where we have a much more systematic idea about business failure and therefore yeah. we can start to develop methods to mitigate Got it. failure. Got it. And, uh, and I'm like, let's start with 10%. Yeah. I think that's a reasonable thing. They've done that in the aviation industry. Yeah. Well, running a business can't be harder than a flight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, yeah yeah we we can do this i love it we i love can it. do this yeah oh i like it i love i love <laughs> it and, I, and i'll tell you what it's funny because for me the word it's not controversial it's thought-provoking not controversial in the sense that it makes sense to think about it because i'd, I'd never it, it's it's that you know again the unconventionalists you know that's why yeah. you're here it's kind of seeing things differently asking a different set of questions around the same topic why 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 are we okay with this and for you Right now, you're driven by this idea that 90% is not okay. It's not <laughs> like okay. We're all, going, we're all going like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm part of the 90%. Why are you celebrating that? Like, we should be yeah. actively engaged in finding a solution to this. So what your call to arms is, anybody listening to this who are running a business? Yeah. Yeah, we started a business. We're running a business. We want to be part of the solution and reduce 90% to 80%. Be part of the first wave, the yeah. first revolution, the first entrepreneurial revolution. Absolutely. To get in touch with you. Absolutely. And then you can dye them. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. this has, and this will be like a whole system approach. Yeah. So it's it's looking at policy. It's looking yeah. at the economics. It's looking at the psychology okay. and the history. Okay. I like that. Sounds good. We broadcasted it in a hundred different countries. So hopefully someone somewhere around Please the world do. is going to yeah. get is going to It's a global issue. And that's, that's why I looked at China and India as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and you can see the same entrepreneurial myths, mm. even though they've got very different attitudes to entrepreneurship. It feels like your book could have been called The Entrepreneur with a Thousand Faces. 
snappy. Yeah, it's from Joseph <laughs> Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, right? Yeah. Um, cool. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end. It went by so fast. Uh, but really enjoyed that. That was really cool. Before I ask you my final round of questions, uh, I want to say congratulations. Thank you. Well done, because I know from firsthand what it, it takes to get a book out. It is no small feat. And the fact that you're published with LID Publishing. Lid, yeah. Lid, yeah. Lid Publishing. Um, and it looks very nice. I love the feeling for it. Sophia. Oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't even mention this. Thank you so much for <laughs> mentioning me and my podcast in, right. in the book. You're part, part of the, you know, you're nod to the shadow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, I, I so appreciate it. And anybody uh, listening to this will we'll, we'll, we'll be telling in, um, on, over on social media how people can win a signed copy of this book. But if you want to go and support the show, go and buy a copy of Louise Nicholson's book because you'll see the name of the show featured in the book. It's very exciting. It's very cool. Um, yeah, well done. Well done for standing for Thank something you. that is needed. And may you change the dial on 90% so that the next time we hear someone say about entrepreneurship fail, they can go, did you know 80% of entrepreneurs fail? Yeah, you can You'll go, know I'll just got started. Yeah, there, yeah. there you go. 100% no, but congratulations yeah. on that. Uh, what's one thing most people don't know about you? Um, I've actually told you some of the things that people don't know about me. <laughs> Uh, at the moment, I'm going through treatment for cancer, mm -hmm. hence the variety of hairstyles. <laughs> Not everybody knows that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for me, it's just uh, it's a fact of life. It's mm. not the point of me. Mm. Um, but it's not something that it sits outside of this story and this drive mm. either. Got it. So you don't want it, you don't want it to define you. Yeah. On, on this mission that you are to try and to change the way that entrepreneurs fail. Yeah. I respect that. I get that. Um, if I could give you the billboard on London Piccadilly Circus and where the message, uh, digital board, TDK, you know, those kind of, yeah, yeah. giving like the adverts for free, yeah, know, stop doing that. um, and you could have a message displayed for people in London to walk, maybe entrepreneurs yeah. <laughs> to look when they're walking in London, what do you want the message to be? You're not alone. Mm. Amen. <laughs> I love that. And last question, what does being unconventional mean to you? Taking something that is taken for granted, a received wisdom mm -hmm. and picking it apart, mm -hmm. not just with opinion pieces, mm -hmm. but with data. So proving that we can move something that it's just the received wisdom. Mm -hmm. I believe we can do that. And that's why you're here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we need to think differently about these things for the health and wealth of us all. Yeah. Love it. Louise, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Genuine pleasure. It's been a, a long time in the making, but it's so good to see you again. Thank you so and much. And thanks for the patience with all the logistics. Oh, and don't getting worry here. about it. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Thanks a lot. Thank you. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Um, I really, really enjoyed, actually, this whole new idea of looking at the 90% failure as something that shouldn't be taken for granted, but more should be taken as something we need to understand, deconstruct, and, and improve. So if, if that moves you in some way, if that calls you in some way, if you want to be part of the solution, then, then get in touch with louisenicholson.com. It's without an H, but it'll be all in the show notes, descriptions, all the links of everything we talked about. And again, stick around. There's going to be an opportunity for you to win a signed copy of Louise's book 
And if you don't get to be a lucky winner, then go and find it on any good bookstores, Amazon and so forth online. You're going to see it's everywhere. It's a pretty little piece of book. Go and check it out. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, click the little button below, share with a friend. It's the best form of compliment you can give me. And as always, you matter. And as Louise says, remember, you're not alone. I'll see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Vivo Life. Now, we all know the critical importance of protein to sustain a healthy diet. And I'd love to sit here and tell you that we should all get that from whole foods. But the truth is, you know, like me, you might be living a busy lifestyle. And I'm often running from meeting to meeting. And I was looking for the perfect protein powder that could help me sustain my energy throughout the day and also recover after my workouts. Problem is, most proteins out there are filled with sweeteners, artificial flavoring and ingredients. And and because they're made from mostly dairy products, tend to not really agree with my digestive system. So that's why in 2014, I started exploring and experimenting with plant-based proteins. But the truth is back then, the taste, the texture, the smell was just a little nasty. And so I just put up with it because I was looking for a plant-based protein that was good for your health, backed by science, and didn't do too much harm to the planet. But in 2017, something changed. I actually came across VivoLife. VivoLife make 100% natural health supplement and products that deliver straight to your door via carbon neutral delivery. Now, let me tell you, I was blown away. Not only did the protein taste great, it also looked amazing, it mixed well, but beyond that, it was by far the healthiest protein on the market that I could find. The reason being is that in every serving, you get 25 grams of plant-based protein, and it's not just any protein, it's fermented protein, which is amazing for digestions. On top of that, you get six grams of branched chain amino acid in each serving, and you also get some turmeric extract, which is phenomenal for anti-inflammatory proprieties, which helps me speed up my recovery. Now, what I usually do after a workout is I'll use uh, some Madagascan vanilla or the salted maca caramel. Those are my two favorite flavors. I'll throw in a banana, maybe some dark leafy greens, uh, some almond milk, some water, maybe some flax seeds, shake it all up and it tastes amazing. So if you're looking for a healthy, natural plant-based protein that's gonna get your results, tastes amazing and does good for the planet, then head over to vivolife.co.uk and use the discount code MARK when you check out to get 10% off your first order. And remember, every purchase you make using the discount code helps support the Unconventionals podcast. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for keeping the lights on in the studio. Hey gang, I wanted to remind you that if you want to launch your podcast and you don't want to spend years and a ton of money trying to figure out how and make mistakes along the way, then head over to theunconventionalist.com, click on online courses, and make sure to enter the code PODCASTTRIBE to get 20% off my brand new online video program that's called How to Launch a Successful Podcast from Scratch. I poured everything I know into that, my love, my heart, my knowledge, and my know-how for you. You can literally take that course from the comfort of your own home and launch a world-class podcast within days. So stop waiting, stop wasting time, head over to theunconventionist.com and get your ticket to my online video program now. I'll see you in there. Hey, Unconventional family. I wanted to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, then a very happy holiday to you too. 
I'll see you next time. I hope that you get to spend some time with your loved ones, that you get to reconnect to what matters, be grateful for what you have. And I wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the support, love, and help that you've provided this year. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching and subscribing on YouTube. And thank you for sharing it with the people around you who matter. So until next time, I hope you've been an unconventional girl or boy because Santa knows and Santa rewards the unconventional family as always. I'll see you next time. Be well. Merry Christmas.